Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, and we are joined, as usual, by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. Nothing breaking right at this moment as uh, as it relates to Notre Dame football, Notre Dame recruiting, but we are going to talk a little bit about some defensive ends and running backs because they seem to be at the forefront of uh, a, a lot of the recruiting information that we have on Irish Illustrated and Man, if you look at that list of defensive ends that Notre Dame is pursuing, um, there's some awfully good ones in there. This is a direct relation to a question later on. Uh, those are the positions you have to pursue and when you are pursuing a playoff as well. And then some of the best news was to see Logan Thomas appear in a Tom Loy crystal ball. That's always a good sign. And then the next key is not only that crystal ball coming to fruition, but lasting for eight months is, is the number one thing nowadays. But edge rusher. Um, I feel Notre Dame suddenly got talent rich at running back, but you see how quickly that goes away with the transfer portal with Logan Biggs leaving, whether you get an injury to Jadarian Price and Audric Estime with a good year, we'll go pro. So running back is the other thing to pursue these days, uh, but edge rusher is the premium. And it's interesting that they have the other premiums right now for this year, quarterback, cornerback, offensive tackle. Edge rusher is the other premium to put in there along, along with defensive tackle. Yeah. So we, Defensive end and wide receiver, you got like those are two positions that in college football 2023 and really going back to 2018 and every year since, like you got to have some real dudes at that position. Um, it's got you can't really scheme your way into an elite defensive end or a guy who wins one on one on the outside. Um, so you know, if you can get a Cam Williams and an Elijah rushing in the same class. That would be that would be real significant. And like Logan Thomas, it's you know his his ranking is is good. Don't get me wrong, um, but his offer list, if that is like legit, you know, there's always a grain of salt with that stuff. But you know, when you see LSU and Oklahoma, Georgia on there, like that's those are the kind of like those are the recruiting battles Notre Dame doesn't really get into a whole lot, um, where it's like a, a crowded field of. Major, major powers. Um, so that would that would be real significant if they come out on top in, in one of those. Yeah, it looks like uh, one Logan out, as in Logan Diggs, and possibly one Logan in, in Logan Thomas, um, who has had uh, a crystal ball placed on him by uh, by Tom Lloyd, 24-7 sports. You know, but you look at that list, and, and, and Thomas is a good one, but you know, and you talk about holding on to recruits. If this, if if Elijah Rushing was committing, that would be a guy that you're you're going to say, man, it's going to be really hard to hold him, hold on to him over the course of eight months. He's a great player. Nordy's still in the running for him. Bryce Young, of course, already in the fold. Cole Mullins already in the fold. Those are it, certainly Bryce Young is more of a, a strong side defensive end. Uh, Melki Williams, I'm not sure off the top of my head what his offer list is Pete, but it's 
I don't think it's nearly as impressive as, as some of these other guys, but he's a really good, a really good prospect. So defensive ends, Nordim needs them. They could use a couple probably for this upcoming season from that group. And then yeah. the running backs, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people are very impressed by Xavier Robinson's size, uh, height and weight, you know, kind of in the, uh, kind of in the uh, Alabama type running back uh, form, but I really love uh, Ketson Young. I think he's, uh, I think he's outstanding. I think he, you know, at 5'10", 220, I said Ketson, Kedron, Kedron Young at, at 5'10", 220, he's a guy that carries his weight really, really well. And like you said, Tim, I mean, a, a, a room, a, a running back room or any position room can look really good in the moment in this day and age that can change real quickly. Yeah. And, and you mentioned his frame um, until you're going first round and second, well, running back isn't first round draft pick until you're normally going first and second round draft pick. The frame of the frame is irrelevant. Kyron Williams broke the mold there. Logan Diggs is, is squatly built. Logan Diggs became much better at football when he put on 20 pounds of, of, of muscle and lower body strength. So yeah, he, I have watched more film um, because of Diggs and, and Williams on young. And I, I, I like his style. I think it fits great with the modern game. Yeah. It's just like when you're watching this tape, I mean, if you can run inside with some power, um, like I really don't need to see you get to the sideline, like on a yeah, jet sweep. No, that's a good um, point. Cause like there's so many highlights of, of high school running backs where it's just like, you're just running to the edge and like, man, that doesn't really apply in college. Yeah, you're, but... You almost take, you almost ding him for it now. You're like, I'm yeah, go just, outside. <laughs> yeah. It's well, I like, certainly um, dinged, I, Logan Diggs coming out of high school. I dinged yeah. him for, yeah. for it a bunch. And then like, yeah. as you said, Tim, I mean, he learned how to be a power runner and a lot of that had to do with the weight that he gained. Yeah. That's, that's what I want to see. If you can do that in high school tape, you can run between the tackles and then make linebackers miss at the second level and then blow by a safety, like on a kind of a vertical cut. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. Um, but yeah, I, you know, when we're talking about receivers, and defensive ends, like I, I do have a difficult time, like getting too invested in running back recruiting just because like those, the guys are so interchangeable now at that position. Like I, I do think it's a spot where like the difference between like the fifth running back and the 10th running back and the 15th running back and the 20th running back is more compressed than it would be yeah. a receiver or defensive end. Yeah. And of course, Aeneas Williams is the running back that is already verbally committed in that class. And, and, you know, he's a, he's not quite built like Henry young, of course. And so as they look at other prospects, uh, you you see Young and you see Robinson as bigger backs. I don't know that, you know, you talk about Young, you know, like guys getting to the edge. He's really elusive. I don't know how blazing fast he is, but we said the same thing about, about Kyron Williams too. It's that elusiveness, the ability, the vision, uh, the, the ability to create holes for yourself by using the offensive linemen as they set up set up a running back. I, I think Kendron Young is a, is a pretty unique talent. Again, not, not necessarily a blazer, but he does that, have that elusiveness and the slipperiness. I think at his height and his weight, I think it's hard for opposing defenses to know where, okay, where do I hit this guy and how do I wrap him up exactly? Because you see him run through so many tackles and it's so slippery. Anyway, he's on my mind today. I'm doing a film review on him and 
Um, you know, a bunch of these running backs, obviously, uh, Nordings taking a look at and will will entertain uh, those possibilities along with defensive ends and, as, as Pete mentioned, the wide receivers. But I didn't want to go on to – Tim, uh, you wrote a story this past week that I think – I don't know how many comments we got on it, but I think it's important that people understand – the realities of early entry freshmen and freshmen that enter in June, as it turns out over the course of the last 15 years, uh, it doesn't overwhelmingly favor early entries for early playing time. No. And uh, I was able to use a good source on this, Tim, you and I interviewed him. Marcus Freeman was the guy that <laughs> mentioned it. Uh, and it's ironic because we brought it up. We asked about Mickey because he had such a good spring. And he said, you know, I don't know, Jaden Mickey had a great spring, but the most overrated thought is to play as a freshman, you got to enroll early. He kept, he used the caveat quarterback, obviously, is very important to come in early. And then you just, I just went down the list. I mean, Jaden Mickey comes in early and Benjamin Morrison is the All-American that comes in late. Joe Alt, I know that's different because of an injury opened it up for him, but Joe Alt comes in. We could have had Joel and Michael Mayer on this, or Joel and Blake Fisher on this list, but Fisher was hurt and that's what gave Alt the spot. Michael Mayer, June, Kyle Hamilton, June, um, MTA, June, Julian Love, June, Josh Adams, June, Drew Tranquil was the first guy in before he got hurt, June, Jalen Smith, Kavari Russell, June, June, June. I mean, Aaron Lynch came in and started in the spring, but Stefan Tuitt came in in June and started. You could you go down the list and there's just there's just way more guys that come in June and it's just because they can play. It doesn't have as much to do with anything else. It's those guys can play. I'm just surprised it's the last four years are like four guys trending as decade greats at Notre Dame came in in June, four straight years. That's an incredible list of Morrison, Alt, Mayer, and Hamilton. I mean, you as well, I should have stopped the story right there when you start going to pass those guys, but it's, uh, I mean, with more, half the guys coming in, 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 uh, January. Now you're going to see more guys on January pop on this list, but it's, uh, yeah, as Pete's going to say here, quarterback, let's get a quarterback on this list and pop him in as a January entry and tell me my story's dumb. Yeah, that's uh, everything else. I Freeman is, I agree with it, and he's right. I guess uh, yeah. it just early entry is very overrated. Um, it's not, and it's not that it doesn't benefit the player. It definitely does. Like if you get in a college weight room, I mean, I I think we've seen some players benefit who have come in and been injured, where then they get a college rehab program, yeah, um, opposed to high school. But I I do think like the I mean, we we all want to see what the early enrollees look like the first day of spring practice and Rico Flores and Braylon James and Jaden Greathouse. Yeah, you want to check those guys out. I, I totally get it. Um, but just in terms of, I think, the, the long haul with these guys, it's the facts are the facts. And if you are a elite athlete, you will play. And if you're not, showing up in January is not going to change that. Yeah, I don't want the conclusion to be that guys coming in early it doesn't benefit them that's that's not the point no, no. Uh, of, of course it does and we know that Tobias Merriweather was was one that uh, I think kind of felt like man I really could have benefited last year by being here in the spring because he did have some some playbook issues that he dealt with in August and as the season progressed and just to clarify if anyone is listening to this and speaks to one of our competitors our conversation with Marcus Freeman Tim is referring to last summer. We have not. Yeah, had I put that. it in the story. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the story. but you didn't say it right now. And I just wanted to clarify it that uh, uh, 
we will we expect to have an interview with Marcus Freeman coming up here this summer, along with the rest of our competitors. And to end segment one, speaking of which, we are still anticipating. I know I've said this, but there's only so much we can do about it. We are still anticipating an interview with Jack Swarbrick. He's been busy. He's been on the road. But we have a lot of questions about about NBC and apparel and NIL. And we've talked about this on podcasts. We can speculate about who's going to be Notre Dame's uh, apparel supplier. We did that last week. So, I mean, rather to go in, rather than go into that again without any uh, real basis for what direction Notre Dame is heading, we are still anticipating an interview with Jack Swarbrick coming up soon. And of course, when we uh, when we conduct that interview, all of these questions that people have about where Notre Dame is progressing with the goo, et cetera, all those things that will be on the list of questions for Jack Swarbrick. We'll be back. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question is from Maltese Irish and probably could have come in a few days prior or we could have noticed it a few days prior. Are there any portal running backs that Notre Dame is kicking the tires on? Pete Sampson. Yeah, a name that I had heard a couple weeks ago uh, was a West Virginia transfer running back, Tony Mathis, who you know have a connection to Jared Parker from their time there. He actually is headed to Houston from West Virginia, um, but I think it was somebody Notre Dame at least kicked the tires on a little bit. Um, King Daru from Purdue uh, was somebody Notre Dame actually offered out of high school. And he, I think he committed to Cal over the weekend. Um, but point being like they're looking, uh, but you're certainly not going to find like a, a like for like replacement for Logan Diggs. Um, but could you find a guy that helps round out the depth chart in case, you know, Jadarian price isn't totally ready to go or, you know, Jabron Payne is at a history of injuries. You know, he's, like running backs get dinged up, right? Um, so beyond Audric estimate, Payne, Price, Jeremiah Love's just getting here. All those guys have sort of like a, an if attached to them. Um, but if you can get a grad transfer who's maybe been healthy um, or at least somewhat reliable, then you know I I would understand kicking the tires on that because you're you're under the eighty five man limit anyway. And of course, you also have options with Chris Tyree. I would imagine at some yeah. point along the way, we're going to see him lined up as a traditional running back. Uh, everybody is waiting to hear uh, more on Jadarian Price. I, you know, I, I had heard that in the spring, they were still a little bit hesitant for him to, to make some cuts and that perhaps by the end of the spring, they were hoping that he would be at that level. So I just think it's something... To keep an eye on anytime you're dealing with an Achilles 
you don't want to take anything for granted. It's a lousy, it's a, it's a lousy injury to suffer. And the recovery from it is, it's just longer. You know, there was a time when the torn ACL, you were looking closer to the, to a year. And that has, you know, that was, that's shrunk a little bit through the, through the years, but I'm not sure that they're quite there with the, yet with Achilles. So we'll keep an eye on that, but I would imagine that Chris Tyree is still, uh, when you lose a guy at the caliber of Logan Diggs, even even with a completely healthy Jadarian Price, that's you know, I mean, it's still an inexperienced player compared to what what Logan Diggs la- did last year. So we, we we argued for twelve pages about the loss of Tyler Buckner and what it could mean. I don't know why there was any argument about the loss of what Logan Diggs meant. The only thing you could argue back was, well, he was going to leave, so go ahead and leave. And I agree with that part of it, but it was still a loss. It was I still an absolute loss. And people just thinking Jadarian Price is automatically better than Logan Diggs was coming off a ruptured Achilles. He might have automatically been better than Logan Diggs if he never got hurt last year when we heard Jadarian Price is outstanding and Logan Diggs was coming back from a shoulder injury. But things changed in that year. I think there's a tendency, Tim, that, when a player leaves, it it angers some fans, and so they you know they want to quickly say, oh, it doesn't matter. Notre Dame has this; it does matter. Logan Diggs is a good football player. Was never fully invested being at Notre Dame and content right. being yeah. at Notre Dame, but yeah. the fact but is, just think he, how good he was only being partially invested. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's a, okay he left because he was yeah. going to leave. Other than that, it wasn't really okay that he left. He ended up being a pretty darn good running back yeah. in Notre Dame in 2022, and now uh, now Brian Kelly will benefit from that. Question from Bill V6118. It feels like Notre Dame is an injury away from big problems at several position groups. Assuming QB is number one, what are the next three groups that you can least afford to lose a starter or even a one B or two. I don't know if they're big problems away in several position groups, but is running back one now? Well, you don't want to lose estimate. I think that's, that would be a huge deal now where it wouldn't have been a huge deal a month ago. Yeah. Got to keep him healthy. Yeah, no, that, that would be one. I mean, like Notre Dame always has these, right? Like there's always, you know, Logically speaking, there's always got to be a position that has the least amount of depth. Sure. Um, but in, in running back now, you feel like that's your one p- injury away from being in trouble. Um, <laughs> if Xavier Watts got hurt, you would be back to where you were before you took uh, Antonio Smith. So that that position, I think, would probably still rank yeah. higher than running back to me. Because um, it's like, you can sort of cheat at running back by playing 11 personnel. Like there's no, there's just no playing one safety. That just doesn't work. Um, so it's pretty, pretty hard to hide that. Um, I don't know. I mean, is there another position that jumps out to you guys? We're like, man, they're, they're well, razor thin. I, you know, I mean, I Viper, I, Jordan Patella, if Jordan Patella, who clearly is the best pass rusher of the, the Vipers yeah. is injured. You, you know, I mean, I, I look at two Alamaka. And we actually have a question on that coming up. I mean, from Donnelly three, four, three, four. I mean, I look at two Alamaka as more of a run stopper right now than a pure pass rusher. I know that he's shown some stuff on the practice field coming off the edge, but we don't know where Josh Burnham is. Uh, and so I would, I would say that. And I really don't, boy, I, we we have a pretty good idea who the starting five offensive line, linemen are, but 
if there is an injury, who's the next guy in? I, I don't know that there's a, you know, where no, you but that, that's got to be every team though, right? If you lose Joe Alt, yeah. your backup's not close to Joe. Well, right. And if your backup is Tosh Baker, like I realized his career is not like taken off, like his recruiting ranking, but like, he's still what? Six foot eight and 300 pounds. Like yeah. that. I, I, nobody's going to cry poor for Nuri's backup offensive line. Well, I know, but Michael Carmody's 280. So is, yeah. is he a, is he a viable option on the offensive line? Robert I don't, Spiller I don't think he shown, is right. I don't think he's a probably not right now. Spindler's shown yeah. very little up to this point. Is he really a viable option? If you lose one of those guys, yeah. I'm just, I mean, as we look, as we look at, as we look at these positions, I, I Viper comes to, to mind for me first after, well, an estimate, <laughs> you can't lose. And, you know, I just want to say that in the portal area, let's not be foolish about this. There are teams all across the country that face the exact same situation. I know there's a lot of players in the portal, but just to grab bodies that aren't really going to upgrade you. Yeah. Doesn't I, I th- back to the offensive line. I think if you offered most people top 100, Developed it last year under Harry Heastan, Tosh Baker, top 100, has had three position coaches, but looks better than he used to, Rocco Spindler and Ashton Craig, a guy that the staff really likes. They would probably take that as their backup. Pat, Coog- Pat, Coog- Pat Coogan should be mentioned. Pat Coogan is your back. That's a pretty good backup quartet. And Emil Wagner. I know he's too small right now. Yeah, but I think that they're, yeah, the. I feel like we've had some discussions about ooh, the the number two offensive line is like, it's never a strength because those guys would be starters if they were, but this seems like a better group of backup offensive linemen than maybe Notre Dame typically has had. Yeah, I would think I the, the, the thing is about offensive line, they never get any playing time. They don't get backup. Oh, yeah, they sure it's don't. not like D line that goes three deep. They won't do that on an offensive line. So when you do have an injury or a graduation, uh, you have to insert a guy that hasn't really played any meaningful. Yeah snaps. I mean, I, I, you know, Coogan looks like a, a guy that can, can definitely help them. Uh, we thought that about Carmody. Now he's 280. We feel that way about Ashton Craig. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see, but uh, it's more difficult than ever to have the depth that you want because uh, I mean, look at quarterback. You it's, it's so difficult now to have more than three quarterbacks. And I realize generally you don't, need more than three over the course of a season, but it's just very difficult with, with roster management now to have the depth. That's why you have to recruit 12 months a year. You have to tend to your roster 365 days a year because things can change overnight. You have to tend to other people's rosters 365 days a year too. Right. Next question. ND one Cubs one. The current roster is a built for a playoff appearance this year. B building towards a playoff appearance next year or C needs to dramatically improve the talent in the room. If they hope to make the playoffs anytime soon, before we all start answering, I want to make sure we point out, he said playoff appearance, not win a championship. Right. And the playoffs expand in 2024 to 12 teams. So that's completely different. I believe the question Tim was asked built for a playoff appearance this year. Next year is building towards a playoff appearance in. Oh, okay. I see the crossover there. Anyway, um, I don't know that they're built for a playoff appearance this year. They are a quarterback. Oh, yeah. Uh, and again, playoffs, playoffs are about to expand. So it's a different kind of it's a different animal at that point. Yeah, it's I think you just answered the question as if the playoffs were not expanding. Otherwise, the question kind of right. falls apart yeah. a little bit. Okay. 
do it. But, all right, let's just go. Let's just go through the positions. Quarterback. Yes. Now. Right. Offensive yeah. line now. Now I agree. Running back now. Yeah, it's not better next year. He's estimate's no. gone next year. There's no chance that no running back should come back with two thousand yard seasons. That they would advise him to leave. Cornerback now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, those are the nows for sure. I don't think there are any other nows. There are any other nows. Um, I we all think the linebackers with the three guys and the three young guys is undervalued, but I wouldn't say they're built for a playoff appearance because of the linebackers. But uh, if all those guys we say offensive line, running back, cornerback, quarterback play at the playoff level, I think linebackers can uh, supplement that. Yeah, because I think yeah, I you know I'd I'd like to think that Leofau, especially if they move him outside, will. You know, I just think sometimes we're a little unfair to Leofal. He he was just, he's been a starter one year. I I think we're fair to his year, not to his future for this year. I no, I agree. I but agree with that. Okay. I agree. I I, I just uh, uh, there are even people in the business that think that he has no chance of developing, and I'm I'm just not in that. That's just not my mindset with him. Anyway, my point was about the linebackers. I think we look at Snead and and Ziegler as pretty interchangeable. Certainly Snead because he's played a little bit, but I think Ziegler too is is a guy that uh, that's going going to be game ready when that time comes for him. But then you don't think of safeties as playoff level, but you don't think of safeties as playoff level next year either. So it's still better this year. That's the question. It is. Yeah. It's just comparing the years. It's way better this year than it will be next year. Yeah, it's like def- is defensive line going to be better a year from now? Um, no, it will not be. Although everybody could come back, basically. Yeah, I was going to say who's, who's leaving. Let's just say yeah. Batello and Mills leave because right, just because seems like a sense. decent chance that would happen. Um, where are they going? I don't, I mean, where, Brandon, where did Brandon Joseph go? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's well, where, go, did, where did Justin Adam Alola go? Like, I, I completely. I think different. they are built for a playoff oh, appearance this year. A number one, next year less than the future because their quarterback will again be a portal guy or Kenny Minchie or CJ Carr next year. Yeah, I feel like the. the I mean, are this you guys of the, the belief? I feel like this year is. This year's roster is going to be better than next year's roster. I agree. With Sam okay. Hartman makes a big deal. And yeah, well, now Benjamin Morrison can't leave, but Joe Alt can. Audric Estime should. Blake Fisher can. Blake Fisher can. Zeke Carell could decide five years is enough. Yeah, boy, it's so hard to, yeah. like, it's really hard to speculate on a Blake Fisher right now. He's, he's it's not on Joe Alt, though, and Sam Hartman. No, no, no. no. Yeah. Joe Alt's a, that, I mean, that's a given. He's already projected his top offensive tackle yeah. in the draft, but. Blake Fisher has, you know, I mean, he's only. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so either, but he, he can still do it. No, he can. And Zeke Corral. I mean, I just think that these are, I have a difficult time saying what you guys are saying in terms of roster, like all of those defensive linemen. I, I, I Don't you think I, Sam Hartman and Joe Alt maybe are more important with the current defensive line and linebackers than next year's team? Hartman and Alt are, those are the outliers of what who we're talking about here. I mean, and those, estimate probably, but. And estimate, yes. Yep. I would I would go this year, then I would go the distant future, then I would go next year. I think CJ Carr or Kenny Minchie is going to be better in a couple of years than he is next year, and that might be the most important question. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I could see next year be feeling like a bit of a bridge to 25. Yeah. I can feel like next year feeling way different than we anticipate. Oh, yeah. oh, there's a hundred percent. That will be the case, but it might, it may even be like more obvious that it's a bridge to 25. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like who knows? It's we just don't know how we're going to feel about uh, Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores a year from now. Like, do they both look like Ben Benjamin Morrison? Because right. then, then you're like, well, holy crap. Wait a minute. Um, portal quarterbacks lining up to come here. Yeah. Roderick Estime is like, you know what? I want to come back for my senior year. I'm like, well, okay. It's, it's always been hard to predict an upcoming season. It's harder than ever to predict yeah. the season after and the season after that. Question. Well, I'll just go ahead and throw this out to you guys because I answered from Donnelly 34 34. Compare and contrast the Vipers and what to expect from each this season Jordan Batello, Junior Tui Alamaca, and Josh Burnham. I think you made a good point that we have trouble really envisioning Tui Alamaca and Burnham out there from reports. Tim, good point. Tui Alamaca, I think, will set the edge and be able to move um, out there. Uh, better pass rushing acumen than we knew about until he was in camp last year and then Burnham the whole thing is I uh I have heard that he can be that Jack Lamb type in the dime defense that's so long and can move uh but can he rush the passer and can he set the edge those are those are what the Viper needs to do so maybe Burnham's a guy that helps you when he's dropping more than when he's rushing this year which might be okay as the third tell, tell me the best that you've seen of Josh Burnham give me a moment in practice that you saw where you thought I don't have one. Okay. I and I'm not saying that they aren't there. I'm 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 saying what I always say is I di- I haven't I haven't seen it per se. How about you, Tim? I agree. And we did see it with Tui Halamaka several times. Fair enough. Yes, 100 percent All right, makes- one. We have a new CMU Pens fan for a while. We are back to him today. And <laughs> the question is what we really haven't. I bet <laughs> but he always submits a question, so he's got a shot every week. But what has a better chance of happening this season. Notre Dame has a 1,000 yard receiver, or Notre Dame having a defender with double digit sacks. Well, 1,000 yard defender, 1,000 yard, 1,000 yard receiver. Yeah. 1,000 yard defender sacks. would be a terrible year. Yeah. yeah. Double digit sacks is that's hard to do when you have Isaiah Foskey. There's only one realistic option. It's not all that incredibly realistic. He gets to 10. Who else is getting 10 sacks on the team? Besides Botello. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, maybe Jean Baptiste, but I, I don't know. And I don't know who's your thousand yard. I mean, I think Sam Hartman were, throwing you know, for 3,500 yards. No and Jaden Thomas, I think would be the, the leading candidate to be that guy just because he's, I mean, he's become such a, a, a much better player. His versatility, they're going to move him inside. They're going to move him in the slot. He knows how to use his size and strength now. Um, you know, Chancey Stuckey talked about convincing him how to use his speed and quickness because he has that. And I think that Thomas is trending in that direction, but a thousand yards, I guess with Sam Hartman, it's certainly possible. And Tobias yeah, Merriweather would Greyhouse be... just replicates the blue gold game. <laughs> six times. Yeah, that's week, week nine. You're going to have, but if you're averaging, you know, 10 yards a catch, you're going to have to I am going on record as Great House is going to be a better downfield receiver than he has been credited for to date on this podcast. Jaden, I just I think he, 
look, you can give me 120 yards receiving, and I'll, I don't care how you get it. Like, I know, but it would, but like, it's well, actually more he, valuable how he got it because he produced yeah, nine what, first downs. It's like an yeah, extension of the running game, this guy. It's just he's going to need 95 receptions to get <laughs> at, the that, real- at, that, at least in a blue goal game. And Tim, your yeah. point taken that I think he's shown, we, I mean, we saw a lot of high school film where he's, Really, really dangerous downfield, and they didn't use them that way in a blue goal game. That's yeah. not his- I, I think the receivers are going to have 850 yards, 725 yards, things like that. But there's no Michael Mayer, so they can have a 1,000 yard receiver. And there's no, I mean, there's no Logan Diggs. So yeah, I don't in the like game. Logan Diggs was the best pass catching running back that they had. So you take him out, and you take Mayer out. Harbin's Harbin is going to push the ball to those receivers like. I yeah, a thousand yard receiver, I think, is much, much more likely than a 10 sack guy. I don't disagree with that. I I I just I think the ball is going, you know, I think we I think we saw a glimpse of what Sam Hartman can do in the blue gold game. I think it was that first scoring drive where he hit five different receivers, including Salerno. And I think Salerno's a guy that's I don't know what number I threw out before. It's always I always throw out a number that's absurdly high, but I think he's in the dozen dozen to 15 reception category just because Hartman will find him uh, uh, opposing teams will not be paying a whole lot of attention to Salerno looking at the other guys yes Tim uh I want to bring this up because we got to give <laughs> CMU Penn's fan credit we will now have a Monday musing prediction today after reading this I will say three receivers go over 700 yards instead of a thousand yard receiver because I think Priester's right they're going to spread it around if you think that's too much, that 2018 with Ian Book and Brian Kelly running, Boykin 872, Claypool 689, and Fink 571. I think Sam Hartman with Claypool, Fink, and Boykin would have gotten over 700, yeah, 700, and 700. One of those guys up, yeah. I think it's just for the sake of realism here, there were 31 1,000-yard receivers last year. And I don't think that most Notre Dame fans could name most of them. Um, if I just read the list, you'd be like, who? Um, but A.T. Perry at Wake Forest was one of them. So that's perhaps a little bit nota- notable. Um, you know, so, but I could, I could see, I don't know, it's just. The offense would have to change so much for them. Like there were Arizona and Ohio State had two each. Um, you could definitely name Ohio State's. <laughs> yeah, but I just said, like, the offense is not set to throw the ball at probably enough to create an 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, I just think the there's record, also a few good receivers. That's my best way of saying it. Yeah. For the record, number of players with double-digit sacks last season? 14. Yeah, so twice as likely. You're going to have a 1,000-yard receiver versus a double-digit sack person. There you go. Next question. Like Zay, Zay, like I would say, Zay Flowers, first round pick. He had 1,077 yards. Yeah, there you go. And he seemed like he, that's because Notre Dame held him down. Yeah. he. I mean, <laughs> zero catches, zero yards, I think. Yeah. I don't know. He I don't remember. He had 1,300 had he not come any. here. Yeah. Got locked down. That's a good point. They really locked him down. All right. We got oh. a couple questions. You want to you put those together, Tim? Sure. Uh, first is from M. Lindbergh. Notre Dame currently has a tough time getting undergrad transfers in the door. Does this increase the number of players it should recruit out of high school each year, knowing that attrition within the roster will take care of the rest? 
and from JEF44 with the emergence of the portal. Is Notre Dame more likely to take shots at the high upside risky high school recruits? Uh, what, what it's 56 visits, right? You're allowed per year. Is that the number? It's yeah, I think that's yeah. that sounds right to me. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how many they recruit a lot of guys, man. I, I don't know how many more that you recruit. Take maybe he means recruit, he might mean take. Yeah, I thought I interpreted the, the question as like. You're you're going to, if you looked over the next five years, you would see an, a higher average of signees than you did, yeah, in the previous five years, and certainly in the previous five years before that. And I think that is that's spot on. I think we're going to see consistent twenty-five man classes from Notre Dame um, with an effort going, at twenty-eight or twenty-nine. Yeah, like I'm I'm going back and thinking like, um, was it the maybe the twenty. 12 class they signed 17 guys in 2012 like that is never ever going to happen again never so yeah and they have 16 verbal commitments already so clearly this number is going to going to rise with with regard to high upside risky high school recruits tim you you brought up something about one-year scholarships yeah what well first of all Notre Dame does care about their graduation rate, which is going right. to be very difficult for them to maintain this because guys leave so so readily. You're going to have to put different a different framework on how you evaluate your graduation when guys are leaving after two years, which is happening a lot because you haven't established yourself as a as a player yet. Uh, so graduate. I mean, I don't know how many more risky recruits they'll go after because graduation rate is still important but it's something it's something to consider as far as a one year one year yeah. deal i like the, the if you're building a roster without total regard for your graduation rates you absolutely do what this question asks get some risky recruits because you can fill in those spots with decent portal players that are graduate transfers and or freshmen that can transfer their credits however that is not the reality that Notre Dame is not going to care about his graduation rates, which is why each December, when you hear through back channels, this guy, 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 weren't act back, were not asked back. They are junior, 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 because they can graduate soon, not be held against Notre Dame's scholarship numbers and not be held against Notre Dame's graduation rate. You're not often going to hear these four freshmen didn't make it. There's usually one, one year where you kind of say, hey, he's not going to play at Notre Dame. So the graduation rate fight for Notre Dame is every December when they have to clean out some of their roster to bring in better players, they're going to have to keep looking at the junior class. The guys that are becoming juniors, not, not becoming seniors. That's easy. The guys that are becoming juniors and sophomores that they can stay at school for one year, graduate, go play football somewhere else and not be on the roster. It is not, it is harder for Notre Dame to maintain graduation rates in this era than anyone could have expected. Even I think Notre Dame looking ahead probably was like, whoa, what's going to happen here when we have to purge our roster? What, uh, I guess, what's the risk here? Or is the risky part here the kid is not an academic fit or a character fit? Or is the risky part like, well, um, we think he's an okay player, but we know he's a high academic kid and like essentially will be a good roster player for us, like a low ceiling, high floor type of player. Like, I wonder if like 
the extra player Notre Dame takes here is like, who, who's our favorite Stanford commit? We'll take him. Um, that, that kind of maneuver yeah, opposed to, uh, taking like Johnny Williams was a, was a high risk yeah, player. I think it's more that I, I don't know for sure, but I think that J E F 44 is asking more in terms of, you know, risky fit, risky chemistry with Notre Dame, whether that's academic, whether that's, I think maybe good example, like William Noah Boykin, if he was a better player too, you like, you just got to go after the guy, even though Tim, like when Tim and Pete, both, when he came to Notre Dame, you're like, this, this is going to be tough. This is not, this is not he's not going to be here a long time. Um, I, I don't know I think usually risky for fans certainly means upside player, not low floor player. That That's not that risky for fans, but low floor uh, coaches like low floor, not a whole lot of recruiting mavens like low, low floor. And I, and no upside. Like, I guess, like, Armel Mookum, um, they just took Stanford's best commitment. And, like, he's a chance to be a good player. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, he's not Elijah Rushing. But I think that's somebody that you would want to just – that's somebody you would always want to have in your program, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, if if those kinds of players are more – like, I know Freeman's one of, point, one of his points earlier for recruiting is, like, I want to find a dude and then I'll figure out if he can make it at Notre Dame as a student later. I wonder if you're, you sort of flip that back around, like let's find an extra two guys that we know are going to be great fits at Notre Dame as a sort of a student athlete. And we're what we, and we see some upside as a player. I I mean, Notre Dame has always gone off after the, the diamond in the rough. I saw someone, I think I mentioned this in Thursday thoughts, Someone said Notre Dame should be beyond diamonds in the rough. Notre Dame will never be beyond diamonds in the rough. That's that's what a, high a matter of how many you have. Right, right. But to think that you're beyond that—that's just you don't have a very good grasp of it of of Notre Dame football where where it's come from and where it where it is. I mean, I realize they're trying to upgrade the talent level. But that, first of all, how many programs don't have diamonds in the rough? Let's be realistic about this. A couple. Just a couple, right. Yeah, they both wear red. Well, yeah. Well, the, they, quarter, the quarterback was not much of a <laughs> much of a guy in that red well, jersey either. Did you see no, they just got a commitment from the number one overall player I know, in the country? but they didn't win the title with him. You know, I'm, I mean, I think everybody has it. Um, it was, I mean, was... I'm trying to think of their. I guess I it's think, different well, now. I'm trying to think of seventeen there, like, linebackers. If a, were they so if a diamond high? in the rough beats out your four star right. or five star, like that may be unpopular in message boards, but that means that guy is actually freaking good. Ian Book beat out a yeah thirty sixth ranked quarterback in the country. Yeah, well, there's there's and somebody like else. 60 sixty ish power five programs. You can't. It's that. You have to recruit diamonds in the rough. I mean, so, yeah, sixty-five my- times twenty-five. Can anyone do the math on that before I pull up, open the calculator app? <laughs> Hit it. Hey, when we were on the numbers, by the way, Notre Dame did have eight D commits in this That's past sixteen hundred players. Sixteen hundred players, yeah. unless you're going to expand four-star recruits to the top, you know, thousand players. I realize Notre, you know, Notre Dame. Jacob Matuska was Kansas. a four-star recruit. Remember that. Who's that? Yeah, I thought there already Big, were sixteen hundred four-star four recruit. It's everybody gets to be a four-star recruit. You're a four-star. You're a four-star. Yeah. 
Uh, I do agree. The first part of that question, though, is crucial. I think Notre Dame will recruit Tim. I mean, like, take more players every class, like Pete said. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree. And they're going to come in and out the door at a faster pace than than ever before. So you yeah. have you have to do that. So to the to the question, uh, point taken. Question from Sean underscore McCarthy four. It appears Notre Dame is addressing concerns about the safety position, as you have alluded to via the transfer portal. Do you think Notre Dame will find a defensive tackle, or do you think they're finished with this cycle? I think they're finished. Um, I would always take one, although we, we've talked about this in the last one. Pete, you were mentioning you would not take the Chris Smith equivalent this year, right? I, w- I wouldn't. Okay. That, then I don't think Notre Dame could take somebody in the transfer portal at this point. Aiden K and I, and I might be the guy that they kept out of the transfer portal and is on the team. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if they found a running back, I think there's running backs aplenty in there. You know, if you find someone who can help you out. No, he's saying great. defensive. I'm saying defensive oh. tackle only. Oh, yeah. If I guess we're just talking defensive tackle, then sorry, I was branching out to everything. Um, no, I would I would just sort of roll with what I had at defensive tackle. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, we talked about Braden Fisk, and he would have been a great fit, and I think he would have been I, – I think he would have been a potential starter, frankly. Um, But – you know, do you want do you want to transfer a, a defensive tackle transfer in the portal, or do you want to see Tyson Ford and Jason Anya? I mean, I, you know, a few months ago we would have Jason Anya, but Jason Anya showed big time in the spring. So, do you want? I want to see Jason Anya for sure. If, if Ford, I'd love to see Tyson Ford emerge to be almost as good as some of those guys, but I don't know that the twenty-two-year-old defensive tackle that's played 30 games of football might not be more valuable to your roster. Sure. I mean, I can't, I can't deny that, but I mean, it's an either or situation. And if Tyson Ford is part of the third wave of defensive linemen to come in, I think I'd rather see him. I don't want to lose Tyson Ford or a Tyson Ford, like young player to the guy I just said, the Chris Smith player. Right. And then yeah, I think don't you? I mean, you sort of owe it to yourself to figure out what you have in Tyson Ford yeah. on a game yeah, day, right? Yeah, right. that's what I that's what I'm trying to say. In this, not in every case, but as it relates to Tyson Ford, yeah. but mainly Jason Anya, because he really he really flashed in the spring. And then you have Devin Houston and Brandon Vernon. I know they're true freshmen. Houston didn't get in a, didn't benefit from being an early enrollee, at least in terms of football activity on the field. And I don't know if Vernon is going to have the size to be a to be a three technique or if they bump into strong side end, I don't know, but um, you know, I get the question. If there was, if there's a guy there, yeah, take them. But you just, just getting a body. I don't think in this instance is a better alternative. I agree. So Ford and, and especially Anya since he flashed to the extent that he did in the spring. And Tim, to your point, just getting a body, you basically said to Marcus Freeman, when K and I, and I got hurt last year that day, are you going to look in the portal for a body because you need a player? And he's like, we will always look to improve our defense and offense. Yeah. And then the next one, four hours later, they had Chris, four hours later, they had Chris. Yeah. They, they enhanced real quickly that time. A question from Jack Mac 99. Who do you think will have more success in their first year on their new job? Tommy Reese or Jared Parker? Are we measuring success by improvement from 2022 to 2023? I don't know. That's why it's a, that's why it's a good question. It's, got a pretty easy one for you if we're measuring by improvement. Jared Parker is going to have more improvement than the Tyler Buckner versus Bryce Young 41 points per game falling out of bed era in Alabama. Yeah, this is, this is going to be Jared Parker. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what discussion you could have on it. <laughs> you have success is relative here between uh, an, an Alabama team and, and and a Notre Dame team. I mean, I mean, let's just say like Notre Dame averaged forty points per game this year. What would we be saying about Jared Parker? <laughs> Alabama averaged forty points a game. What would we saying? Uh, what would they be saying about Tommy Reese? One would be uh, for the Broyles Award. The other one would be getting fired. I well, mean, it's just it's fired. Like, it's, 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 Bill O'Brien got run out of town. Like, <laughs> it's just the standards at Alabama. And I realize that's like, that's what Reese wanted to jump into and full credit to him for doing that. Um, but wow, that is a buzzsaw. And like Notre Dame is sort of still in like kind of a growth mode here where they're like trying to climb the mountain. Alabama is at the mountain wondering like, all right, can we go any higher? And I think Alabama Jared, is the mountain there. Yeah. Jared Parker. Um, I think he did the smart thing by not overhauling the offense. It's a continuation of what Tommy Reese did. And then you want to put your touches, your own touches on how you want the offense. Well, then you, you tweak it from there, but I think he made a decision and Marcus Freeman made a decision that was in the best interest of the team and the, the entire offense in particular. Uh, and you know, I don't, I, we don't know for a fact that Jared Parker has this other offense that he wants to run, you know, that, that varies so greatly from Tommy Reese, but I think he did the right thing. I think Notre Dame did the right thing. And then you insert a Sam Hartman into the equation and you got a chance to score a whole bunch of points this fall. Right. Final question. Who do you think the captains will be this season? Oh, I lost the whole thing here. This is from uh, B E A B. Oh, it's Beast Texan, I think. Who do you think the team captains will be for the upcoming season? And also, since following Notre Dame, who would be your guys to be the all-time captains? I don't know if you guys have. This is this starts to be the time of year where we start considering questions like this. But if you think about this team, I don't. I don't know that there's an overabundance of captains that come to mind. I could think of two immediate captains that I, I, I well, I, I guarantee you, JD Bertrand's a captain. Yeah, and that's I the would most be, obvious one. Really, be surprised if Jack Kaiser's not a captain. I agree with that. Um, what about Sam Hartman? It's uh, not really an ideal situation, but I think it'll work out just fine. What about Zeke Carell? That's a possibility as well. And, Joe and here, uh, Chris Tyree would be a great captain, but he has to be a very involved player to be a great captain. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, Bertrand for sure. Kaiser maybe. I mean, I, I thought Kaiser was going to be a captain last year. Yeah, I did too. And yeah. Um, then, Cam Hart injured too much. Cam Hart, no. I like. I mean, I think Joe Alt has the personality for it, even being a third-year player. So that wouldn't, and if you're going to default to like best players are your captains, assuming they're like work their butts off, which I think Joe Alt does. And I think that would be, that'd be a pretty easy pick. I got good news. They didn't lose a captain in the transfer portal. (laughs) (laughs) Howard Cross might be a candidate. I mean, I think Hart. That's a good one. That that's a good one, Howard Cross tonight. Yeah, and you got to have an offensive. This is Notre Dame. You got to have an offensive lineman as a captain, and Joe All obviously, even though he's in his third year, it's it's 
it's almost undoubtedly his last year. So I think you're right. I take that back. It'll be Joel over Zeke Carell. I just went with you're definitely getting years. into the like you don't want Joe Alt to have never been a captain when he's in the NFL. I think that's why Jalen Smith was a captain his junior year. It's like Notre Dame was not going to be like, uh, why was it Jalen Smith a captain? Like he was here for three years and like incredible. So no, and Joe I think, Alt might that. Tim, I, to your point, I mean, I think certainly Zeke Carell, I mean, a guy, this is a guy that's gone through the ringer a little bit, you know, was frustrated that he couldn't get on the field earlier. Did some good things at center when they moved him to guard. It was, did not right. work out really well. I mean, he swept, you know, and early last year, it didn't look like he was playing very well. And then the offensive line wasn't, they, you know, I mean, they, he's, he's fought through a lot and he's a, he's a candidate, but I don't, I mean, I think Alt, Bertrand, Kaiser, those Cross are kind is of, a good call. Cross is a very good call, actually. He's a, really yeah, respected player yeah i think so too i think so too and, and, and that's, that's tyree's great. more of a great representative for when they need someone to uh talk after a loss post game or after you know something where chris tyree can handle himself so well uh, and he'll be involved he'll be involved it's just that I, it's it's hard i guess if you don't you're the fourth offensive option to be yeah, and I, think, I mean you have to you also have to think in terms of, of diversity too in, in naming of the the captain. So we'll see how that works out. But it's a good question because other than a, other than a, a a couple three there, I don't know that any of them are real obvious obvious choices. And the second part of the question, all time team captains. I, I'm going to draw the line for me. <laughs> For my, yeah, my, what year do you want to start at? My career, well, I'm going to start. I, I get to start in early '80s. Okay. Uh, well, I only uh, start. I get to. I'll. I'll go first as I am the. Well, I'm starting at 01. That's why I started. Okay. O'Malley, what year did you want to start? I was going to start in '86, but is that okay. allowed, or should I start in? Should I start in 08? No, you can nah, start. I start in '86. I'll yeah, start in 01 because that's. I have a smaller pool to draw from. Okay. Um, Brady Quinn, Harrison Smith. Manti Teo, and then my fourth captain. Hmm. It has to be somebody on offense. I think it's probably a, and it's got to be an offensive lineman. So I guess I'll take Zach Martin. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Well, I'm starting with Tony Rice. Um, Brady Quinn would be next on my list, but I can't have two quarterbacks as my captain, right? Or maybe they could have if they just kept Buckner. They could have Buckner and Hartman captains. They all could have been fighting for jobs the whole year. Um, but I'm going to go Tony Rice, Manti Teo, because it was one of the most successful captaining efforts in the history of captaining was Manti Teo that year. Um, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go past Martin as much as he was a great two-time captain and do Drew Tranquil. Yeah, I would have to, I mean, certainly from the the BK era, I would have to have Tranquil in there. Um, you know, I still think I've said this, and I'll stand by it. One of the greatest captains of all time in Notre Dame sports history is Pat Connaughton. Yes. Um, and I would, you know, I mean, I, Dave Dorson was beloved and considered a great captain in the early days. Bob Crable was a two timer. The trio in 88, the trio of Bolkar, Green, and Heck, Ned Bolkar, Mark Green, Andy Heck, was great. But when I go through all these years, the 1993 captains, I can't imagine a greater group of captains 
than Jeff Burris, Tim Ruddy, Aaron Taylor, and Bryant Young. That is, that's the gold standard of captains uh, in my lifetime. And I can't disagree with, you know, Tao and Quinn and Harry, Harry Smith, Harrison Smith. Um, you know, Harrison think- Smith had a hard job because he had a bunch of uh, guys that were fractured between Kelly and Weiss. And that and was and the, the only team. captain. Yeah. And the team, yeah, he lost his co-captain to in May or March, whatever it was. No, it was in the spring, obviously, because he didn't participate in the spring. So we lost his co-captain. He had a fractured team and they lost their first two games in ignominious fashion and they did not completely devolve. That's a hard, that's a hard, it's a little harder yeah. to do that than it is some other guys. No, no doubt. I, you know, I'd throw a vote in at least a, the Brian Kelly air from Matthias Farley too. He has the best captain acceptance speech. If that counts. Yes. Yeah. That was great. Joe Schmidt. People don't like to hear that. Cause he, <laughs> Yeah, hurt and he wasn't Andy Bertrand. Out. Sorry, I just threw I just threw it out there. Yeah. Rocky Boyman uh is a guy, another guy that I have a throw. But that 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 quartet in '93, that's that's a pretty hard one to hard one to beat. But all right, do you have who do you have come speak? I have Mark Green and Drew Tranquil come 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 out and speak to the media after everything happens. Yeah, yeah. Mark- they, I mean, they should have brought Drew Tranquil out after the Georgia game, but they only gave him to FIM. But it was still good. <laughs> Hey, McGlinchey had the hardest captaincy job. Actually. Oh, yeah. He was 16. Great. I mean, in, in 16, Mike McGlinchey, had, he was their lone rep coming out to talk to us half the time. Oh, geez. Yeah, that was tough. Austin Webster had a hard captaincy job for answering all the questions. Kaiser as well. Yep. Brief. <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap up with that. Next Monday is uh, Memorial Day. We will not be doing a podcast on that day. Uh, We're scheduled for Tuesday. We may do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about it, but we anticipate coming back for a podcast next Tuesday, May 30th. And until then, we appreciate you listening and joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider. Did you know that over 10 million pints of Guinness are consumed every single day? Dublin is the home of this very famous Irish stout, where it's brewed, stored and distributed worldwide. And if you're visiting Dublin, the Do Dublin Hop On, Hop Off bus tour is the perfect way to explore the city and its iconic landmarks, including the Guinness Storehouse. Book your tickets now at dodublin.ie forward slash Irish Illustrated to secure your spot on the tour. But hurry... Spaces are filling up fast.